Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 121, and today we'll be chatting with Yuna Krevitz, a blogger, podcaster, speaker, and UI engineer at DigitalOcean. In high school, Yuna started to explore new technologies like Flash and the Wacom tablet. After a few internships, Yuna found a way to combine art and computer science into a career. She then joined IBM, where she worked alongside a team, making Watson more accessible. She also recently joined the team at DigitalOcean. Yuna also regularly speaks at conferences across the world and co-hosts her own podcast called Tools Day. Yuna joins us to share her story, what it was like working at IBM, how she's currently living as a digital nomad, what it's like working at DigitalOcean, how she started speaking at tech conferences, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hack to start drop us an email at hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Yuna, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited to have you on and, and hear more about your story and you know what your what it was like working at IBM and what you're currently up to today with DigitalOcean. So before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like where are you from and what did you study? So I grew up in Baltimore on the East Coast of the US and then I went to school still on the East Coast in Washington, DC. I went to school for both computer science and graphic design, um, and that was at American University, which is not a school for CS or graphic design. It's like a political science school. I don't know. It was fine, though. Um, And then I moved to Austin, Texas, and now I guess technically I'm a digital nomad. I don't really live anywhere, and I haven't for the past two months. But like news as of recently, I decided I'm going to move to New York towards the end of this year, um, probably towards the end of November, to sort of be in the same office as my coworkers and like be around. I think that'll be fun. That's awesome. So what's it been like being a digital nomad for these past few months? And how have you been navigating that? It's great. I work remotely. So I could basically work anywhere that I want as long as I sort of get my work done. And I prefer to be on my team's hours as well. So it's really easy when you're in the US. Um, I also found it really great when you're in certain countries like Porto. I was in Portugal for like two and a half weeks hanging out there and their time worked out perfectly with the like East Coast US time because I would have the whole morning to explore like to 2 p.m. and then 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. I would work and then at 10 p.m. they always had dinner like they have dinner pretty late there. So I found that to be like perfect. I just want (laughs) to go back and live there. But yeah, it's been nice like to be able to both travel and work. That's really cool. So how did your passion for art and sort of tech kind of develop at the same time? And how have you found ways to combine these two passions over the years? That's a good question. I wasn't really ever great at art until I discovered this magical tool called the Wacom tablet when I was in high school. It was like brand new. And I discovered it while taking this flash course in high school. So they had like Flash and Photoshop and Illustrator and taught you all those things. I was like, wow, I could actually be decent at art when I do it on the computer. So it was just really rewarding to um, use those technologies all together. And then when I was learning Flash, 
really inspired me because you could use action script to sort of create interactions and just type a couple lines of code and have something appear that you could interact with on the screen. So I really liked that. And then at the same time, I was getting into like fashion illustration with the Wacom tablet. And it was just sort of a mix of all these weird ideas that I had all together. But yeah, I think that that flash course really opened my eyes to this idea that I could combine art with computer science in a way. So that's why I went into college already knowing that I wanted to double major in that. And from there, it kind of turned more into front-end development because that's sort of a great unifier of both like CS and engineering ideas and technologies and skills and also like UX and visual aesthetic and like user interaction and psychology behind that. Um, So it kind of just found my way into this field that ended up being really ideal for me through that. That's so cool. So, you know, kicking off your career, you had a few internships, including uh, actually with Include and Invite. Uh, We actually had Marty on the show a couple of weeks back. So what were some of these early career experiences like for you? Oh, my gosh, you can't believe you had him on the show. That's so funny. What a small world. Um, Those experiences were great. And I think that I was really learning to find what I liked and find that niche of front end development through those internships. Um, Because it wasn't really a term. It wasn't really a job a couple of years ago. It's a relatively new job. Um, So yeah, I interned basically everywhere in DC. um, And they gave me a lot of freedom during these internships. And like when I was working at Include, the first project that I worked on was Beer Camp for their South by Southwest party. And it was like this online game that was multiplayer. Um, it was a lot of fun. I got to just be involved in the ideation, the creation of that. And then when I I worked at um, this company called Vigit, which is also based in D.C., a couple of months later, and that was really great because it was it was like getting sort of a boot camp of development in that summer. Um, I just learned a ton about proper like formatting for uh, jQuery plugins and those sorts of things. Um, so after that, I also worked for Marty when I was working at Invite, and it was very much the same thing. It's very autonomous. Like, hey, make our like developer API page. Like, go ahead or like make like uh, prototypes for uh, what maps would look like. And um, I think that that trust in me as an intern, like spoke volumes to um, my confidence in like entering this field. So that was really cool um, to get that from my employer. That's amazing. Sounds like you've had an amazing experience with the internships that you've been a part of. So you then joined IBM as a front end developer. How did you create the opportunity to join the team there? The process um, is pretty similar to a lot of other like front end positions. You had your initial phone screen and then they gave you a coding challenge, like a little like a second phone call with a code challenge that you did as you spoke to the person through um, a screen share. And then you got a fly down along with a like code challenge that was, OK, rebuild the site um, for this company, just like a prototype. Don't spend more than X hours on it. Probably, of course, everyone spends more than that. But then there's a fly down and they were hiring a lot of people. They still are right now. There's like a big push to hire an IBM design. And they fly you down with a group of like 10 people. Then you all do your interviews together and they like take you out. And it's like a whole experience. It's actually a really cool experience. They, they fly you out to Austin and you get to see the city. That sounds like such a cool experience. So what was your day to day role like at IBM? And what were some of the favorite projects you had the opportunity to be a part of? Um, My role changed a couple of times. Uh, When I first joined it, I was working on Watson and I was on this team called the Visioneering Team, like um, Imagineering (laughs) in Disney. Uh, But basically that role was to create like prototypes of future iterations of Watson uses. And I remember like then 
the Apple Watch had just, just come out, but nobody had access to one. So I created like this prototype Apple Watch in the browser so we could use that as like just an ideation ground. Um, but then after that, I joined um, the pattern library effort for Watson. And then from there, joined kind of the same project on Bluemix. So I was sort of doing um, both iteration on pattern library and um, like component structure that all the engineers could use to build, as well as like prototypes of like product iterations for like future I, I don't know, like, <laughs> I feel like I'm saying the same words, but I prototyped, I worked in the pilot library. That's basically what I did. Yeah, that feels like Watson is this giant thing that most people just don't understand yet. Like it can be used in so many places and is really driving the next generation of computing. So how do you think about it, given your experience working on it and making it more accessible for other developers? I think that Watson, like you're, you're right, it's this huge, um, it's mostly a concept, really. It's it's such a big team that is working on various applications of it. So that was cool that basically the ideas were limitless. Essentially what Watson is, is a system of APIs that people can leverage that's based on this corpus of data and you can have private data. So it's like having like a private like Google search that you can implement with your company, which is great for things like secure medical records. And that's why Watson is doing so much right now with iterating through those medical records and sort of discovering um, similarities to be able to diagnose diseases. They've partnered with with medical centers to try to like early diagnose cancers, which is really cool. But that's just one use case for it. There's there's a ton. There's like Chef Watson, which is going through like this corpus of recipes to make up like weird combinations of foods that could be good together. So I think the most exciting part of that was the diversity of application for it. I think there's definitely a lot of application that um, is yet to be discovered. Like specifically, I feel like right now we're at this cusp of technology that people aren't embracing just yet. And that's like VR specifically. Um, but I think in a couple of years, like three years, four years, everyone's going to have a VR system. It's going to be easy for consumers to get one. And I keep thinking about this, like how is that going to change how we design for responsive like web, you know, when screens are no longer flat screens, how does that change things? Like, are we going to be using the web via VR? Um, what about augmented reality? What about all of these different ways to interact with things around us. There's like Google's physical web where um, that whole project is about sending beacons at you as a URL instead of the user typing in a URL into their browser. So like that's pretty interesting to me. Then there's all these wearable devices like um, there's rings. I have a ringly, which I think is fun. I just saw today this bracelet device that's a wearable connects with an app and there's like a panic button for like if you're a woman walking home at night and it just like gives you that feeling of safety that you could always um, reach out and contact someone. So I don't know. There's such a big world of application for technology that is now extending past screens, which is exciting to see. That was definitely a rant, like a tangent that would not. No, no, that's awesome. I definitely agree that there's so many cool new technologies opening up and I'll be interested to see them become more of everyday life. So on a different note, how do you approach transitioning from a small design team within a startup to a much bigger design team at IBM or today where you're working at DigitalOcean? And what advice would you give to another designer who's looking to make that similar transition? Yeah, I, I didn't really know what to expect at first, but it's definitely a different experience, especially when, when I was working at Invite, the team was like six people. So I was sitting next to the, everyone on the team right there in the room. Um, at IBM, specifically at IBM Design, they did a good job trying to make it feel like a startup. Like you knew who your team was and who was around you and who to ask questions. But it is this this sort of hierarchy of 
like position. There's much more of a political system in larger companies, and you just have to learn how to leverage that. Um, it's really hard to get anything accomplished without sort of talking to other people on a larger scale. So I think that's sort of the best advice that I would give. Um, don't be afraid to speak to your manager, speak to your manager's manager, um, make your voice heard. That's important, especially if you're trying to like create more of a community effort or you need more resources than you have available to you and you have a good idea. I think some really good advice that I learned at IBM was ask for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> so <laughs> um, just sort of gathering things, like building something, showing a prototype, um, and then asking for more resources based off of that. So you're currently a UI engineer at DigitalOcean. For those who may not know, can you tell us a bit more about what DigitalOcean is and does and how you created the opportunity to work with the team there? Yeah, so DigitalOcean is a really cool cloud infrastructure company that it basically provides server space and the offerings are sort of growing in terms of how to manage that space. And I used DigitalOcean for a long time. I think I've used it for four years now, maybe longer. Um, but it's it's a really nice way to just go in, spin up a droplet, which is like your space in the cloud, um, and then push whatever application or website you need on there. There's a really big community that has a lot of tutorials, various ways to help. There's like question and answer. There's different like interactions that you can do both in the community and like with your droplets. So I kind of found this job through somebody who already worked there who actually reached out to me that I met from student hackathons in college, which I used to like live at student hackathons in college. It was great. But yeah, the design team manager there also went to these hackathons and there weren't a ton of people who did design that went to the hackathon. So we kind of like knew each other <laughs> in a way. Yeah, through that community. So I'm sure it changes constantly, but can you give us an idea of what your day-to-day -day role is like and what some of the projects you've had a chance to, you know, be a part of at DigitalOcean so far have been? Uh, well, we recently relaunched the new DigitalOcean.com and we base that on a pattern library called Float, which I got to help out with as well. Um, so that now is much more performant and accessible than it was. I wrote this whole um, blog post about how we did that and how much more performant it became which is great for users and people who have either slow connections or even people who are just on their mobile devices. Um, it makes a big difference. So I was really proud of getting to work on that sort of thing. Um, also just launched the Hacktoberfest program, which is this program that we have where if you submit four pull requests on GitHub, you get a free t-shirt that is like, I participated in open source and that was really cool because I participated for the last two years in it. And now this year I get to see the behind the scenes of it and be a part of that. So that was a lot of fun. And I'm working on a couple of other projects related to that. Um, also just launched a, a, like a few other initiatives that we had going on while I've been here. So another thing I wanted to touch on is, you know, you've done a ton of traveling to speak at some pretty cool conferences. How did public speaking come about for you? And what's some of your favorite, you know, parts about speaking at conferences? So I started speaking at conferences a lot two years ago now. I've always really liked sharing ideas and communicating those to people. And it was like October 2014. Um, I remember because I decided to like have this, okay, I'm going to like pause everything and kind of think about my life right now and think about where I want to be and how to get there. Um, but in that month, I started tracking all my goals and doing a lot of um, just like self-evaluation and part of that, I realized, like, I want to start speaking at conferences. So I had been blogging for a while, my ideas, and I started just submitting calls for proposals. 
um, which is what conferences will ask you to do where you submit your idea or like an outline or sort of just describe the talk that you want to give. Um, so I sent a bunch of CFPs and I didn't think that a lot of them would get accepted. I thought like, oh, maybe one or two conferences if I'm lucky. And then I ended up speaking at like 14 conferences <laughs> that year. Wow. It was just something crazy. But I didn't intend to do that. It just sort of happened. And it's really hard to say no when someone's like, hey, do you want to come to um, Australia? Like, yes, <laughs> I do. And I really love meeting people from like various cities and cultures, um, especially the dev communities there. So yeah, I think I've just learned so much from attending these conferences. And that was really the thing that like spurred all of the CFP application. I didn't really have an education budget at work and I wanted to attend the conferences. And so it seemed like the only way to attend them at that time was to speak at them. So that's why I started that whole initiative. And um, yeah, fast forward two years, I, I'm here and I'm going to like Australia again in a week. And then after that, Berlin to hang out with the dev community there. So it's been a, it's been a crazy journey. <laughs> That's a really cool, uh, cool hack. I'll have to keep that in mind. So other than that, how would you recommend that other designers or entrepreneurs go about speaking at conferences? That's a really good question. Um, so first thing that I would say is start experimenting or doing research on a subject that you're interested in that other people might not know about. And a lot of this can come from combining two interests. So if you're really interested in like nutrition and also data visualization, um, that's a good topic from which to start. You can basically just combine any two things. But then it's really important to start communicating your research. So start writing blogs, start maybe doing a podcast. There's there's a lot of different ways to do that. And um, start maybe after that, speaking at a local meetup that meets on the subject, um, say like JavaScript or CSS. If there is no community, you can always start one. I started the SAS meetups in both Washington, D.C. and then Austin, Texas, because I, for that exact reason, I wanted that community and it didn't exist yet. So you can speak at those local meetups um, or like organize them. And then once you have a little bit of speaking experience, that's, I think, the good point to start submitting calls for proposals for conferences. I think just starting locally, regionally um, with your community that you already know is a good idea. And then from there, just I don't know, I think it definitely doesn't hurt to try and to submit and see what people think. Also, you can give your talk to your friends or coworkers and get their feedback um, and then iterate and try again. Yeah, absolutely. That's some great advice. So on the subject of podcasting, you actually started a podcast called Tools Day. So what's the show all about and what got you into podcasting? <laughs> so um, Tools Day is a podcast about tech tools, tips and tricks on Tuesdays at two. That's my little spiel for it. But yeah, it's about tech tools, which there's so many of them. It's just like this dev environment community is just full of new tools every other week. But yeah, it started when I was at IBM with my coworker, Chris Donaraj. Um, and we both have just really great debates and conversations about technology. He is definitely a JavaScript focused engineer. And I had much more of an expertise in like CSS, SAS, like architecture. So it was just so interesting to get both those perspectives. And we decided to just record them for people for like an internal little radio um, show that we had. And then at the same time, we just open sourced it and shared it out. So, yeah, it just kind of started from deciding to record these conversations. And it's definitely grown a lot since then. It's an interesting podcast because now we've started to get guests. I'm definitely learning a lot from our guests and from um, the different topics that we bring up that I then need to research to make sure that I'm like not spreading falsities <laughs> about a topic. But yeah, when I left IBM, we continued the podcast and I just I have my mic here that I now travel with so 
that I can record podcasts uh, wherever I am. That's cool. What mic do you use? I have the an Audio Technica mic that I was actually gifted from Rebecca Murphy because uh, she has a podcast also called the TTL podcast, Time to Live, and it's about performance. And um, I did the website for her and she decided like instead of I, I didn't want like she's like, oh, like I have sponsored money. Like, let me pay you for this. And I was like, no, no, no. But instead, she sent me a mic like without my permission. <laughs> she's like, here, I want to give you something. It was so sweet of her. So I have this little mic. That's cool. That's an awesome story about how you got your mic. I mean, I just ordered mine off Amazon. So on that note, you know, speaking of tools, do you have any cool tools or apps that you've downloaded recently and you're a little obsessed with? I just started using VS Code. And literally yesterday, we recorded a whole Tools Day episode about VS Code, which is Visual Studio Code. And I didn't think that I would like it so much because my like Sublime Tech setup is so good. You know, like I spent years on that thing. Um, but I really like VS Code and I recommend people try it out. Yeah, I also really like this tool called Surge.sh, which is a way to deploy static websites with the command line really quickly and easily. It's a great company. I think that tool, like I try to tell people about because it's lesser known and um, it's really, really useful. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing some of those apps. So on another note, are there any recommendations of great content that you've come across lately, either a book, video, or blog post? Wes Boss's like blog post series are great, specifically his video series on ES6. I did both his React and ES6 video series and he just has this way of teaching that's really accessible. So if you're trying to learn ES6, like ES2015, whatever you want to call it these days, or React, I definitely recommend his video series. Sounds really cool. I hadn't heard about that before. So I'll have to make sure that uh, we check it out and we'll definitely include that in the show notes so others can do the same. So on that note, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? I think ask for forgiveness, not permission is a good one. I've definitely um, kept that with me since my IBM days. And also, I like the Nike slogan, just do it. <laughs> like, Don't think, just do. And then then you have something to iterate off of. So yeah, those two. I, I don't know. I like I like short quotes and slogans. It's an awesome piece of advice and a great way to end the show. Yuna, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We really loved having you on the show. Thank you so much. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope to have you join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.